Now this morning we're continuing in this uh, series on Elijah that I've started on my occasional uh, Sundays here and we are in 1 Kings 17, which is where we've been each time, but we're taking the story a little further this morning. I'm starting to read at verse 7. You may recall that Elijah having pronounced that there would be no more rain until he said so, was told to go not on a national tour of preaching, which we might have anticipated, but to go and hide himself. And uh, when he hid himself, uh, the ravens would come and feed him there. And it was in the place of obedience that God would meet his need. And there would be a brook that would uh, supply uh, the water that he needed, the ravens would supply the food. And here this man uh, is an exemplary man of faith as he uh, follows the Lord's calling and guidance. We're taking the next chapter, if you like, in the story, which uh, starts in 1 Kings 17 and reading from verse 7. It happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. When he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there, gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. Behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go in, prepare for me and my son, and that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Don't fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first. And bring it out to me. Afterwards, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household ate for many days. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Father, we thank you so much for your presence with us here. We bless you for truths. We've heard scriptures. We've heard read. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for confidence in our hearts to sing to you. And Holy Spirit, we do ask you right now to be our teacher for every person here. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to blow upon even dead bones that they might come to life and that your truth might do us and every person here good this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just to remind you then quickly, Elijah, living some 58 years after the triumphant empire of David and then Solomon, had seen, or at least in that previous generation, some 58 years had slipped by, seven kings had come and gone, and instead of a nation celebrating 
the true God of Israel, they had gradually turned and turned and turned and turned until the worship of Israel's God was now illegal. And a new God had been embraced and officially proclaimed they were now worshippers of Baal. And this nation, which was supposed to be the light of the world and carry God's plan to bless every nation, had turned away from God completely. And so Elijah is sent by God with a statement of incredible seriousness, it won't rain until I say so. This is a phenomenal thing, it's something that's going to make the whole of society have to sit up, it's like a a run on the banks, it's like the price of oil going completely through the ceiling, it's like shame coming on a nation, and what on earth do we do? It's interesting to read in the 1859 revival in New York, It started with a handful of men praying uh, with Joseph Lamphere and that handful began to grow, began to grow, began to grow and then there was a total crash on the banks of America and then hundreds started praying every day until thousands were praying every day. Interesting, the Lord of Heaven sometimes captures the attention of people. And uh, here he is with his servant Elijah but instead of Elijah going out to preach and proclaim and keep on hammering home his message, he's told to withdraw and becomes, as it were, a model of faith against the backdrop of a nation in unbelief. And I think this is hugely relevant to us. He lived in a kind of post-Christian era. I looked at The Economist uh, yesterday, this week's Economist, it did a comparison of American values, English values, and showed how few people in England now believe in God and truly uh, believe that God is relevant to the modern world. We live in England in a post-Christian era, like Elijah did. And Elijah's got much to tell us of how to speak and how to live in a post-Christian, an era that's turned its back on God. And so he's hugely rever- relevant to us. Well, He's gone to the place, we looked at that when I was with you last time, he went in obedience, he went to this brook, this tiny brook, he hid himself, and there he was going to prove God's faithfulness in this cameo picture of a single life. I love the way the Bible sometimes just captures a character, whether it's an Abraham or a David or a Jeremiah, and tells you how they proved God, and it helps us as individuals to just feel, I can identify with that person, what would I have done? How would I have conducted myself? That's where the scriptures are so fascinating. They kind of draw us in with their wonderful characters. So here's Elijah. And sure enough, every day the birds come and give him the food. And the brook flows. So there's water, there's food. Until we come to the verse that we started with uh, in the reading. It happened after a while, the brook dried up. The brook dried up. He having obeyed God, suddenly is facing a new crisis. And of course, when we've been obedient to God, often there comes a challenge. It was so beautiful to be here a few weeks ago, some 18 people being baptised, and so often you can say, yeah, I'm putting God first. And it may be through a, a step of obedience like that, say, well, it's costly, but I'll do it. And there are other stages in the Christian life where we say, yes, I'm putting God first. And we can sometimes expect that after that, Things will be easier. Uh, Somehow, maybe you've been wrestling with God. Maybe you didn't want to be baptized. Maybe you didn't want to stand in front of hundreds of people and and, and have to say something and so on. There are other types of uh, obedience. We may have done it and think, well, I've done it now. Now it'll be okay. 
But that's not always the whole story. Here, Elijah's been obedient. Now, the brook dries up. It's not working. And this is a, a time of real test and challenge for all of us, where we put God first, we say yes to God, we obey him as far as we know how, and then there's a kind of turn in the events which amaze us, surprise us, and put us in problems. We're in disappointment, maybe some delay, maybe even some danger with our business or our lives, and now's the choice. Shall I carry on? Do you know, it's probably true that if every person who ever once came to this church was still here, apart from people moving away and so on, but I mean, people who followed God for a season and then stopped, if they were all here, we wouldn't all get in. It's what, the, what Christians call backsliders, people who start but don't keep up. And that happens where you get a crisis like this. You, you start, you say, yes, Lord, you're in the crowd, you're singing, you're worshipping, but things don't go right. And we live in this consumer society which says, well, it may work for you, it doesn't work for me. Maybe you're on the edge of that. Maybe you've, you've come, you say, well, I obeyed God, I tried to follow, I, I went to the group, I, but I still haven't found any real friends. Still don't seem to find things working out for me. I'm still on my own. It doesn't work for me. And, and what can happen is that in that moment of delay, that moment it didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to be, there's a turning back. Now, that's a hugely important time. In spiritual warfare, just as in natural warfare, uh, if you read stories of the First and Second World War, it wasn't a matter of simply taking a hill or taking a town. It's a matter of digging in because there'll undoubtedly be a backlash. And so the land wasn't taken until you dig in and hold it. It's no good to, oh, we took a town, yeah, but they took it back. We took a few yards, but yeah, but they took it back. It's standing when you can't quite understand the way it's working. It's standing when you say, no, no, God, you told me to go here. And so for Elijah, it says this, the day the brook dried up, God said, now go somewhere else. And I want to suggest to you, the day before the brook dried up, I guess it looked pretty dry. There would have an opportunity to say, well, I'm going to, I am now going to take the wheel back. You know, I, I let God drive. No, okay, I'll take the wheel. It was fun trying this thing, but like, come on, I just feel safer if I'm in control. And sometimes it's when we come to a crisis, we think, hmm, I think I trust the one I know, that's me. I'll make the choices here. Listen, can I keep obeying? Can I keep waiting for God? It's one of the big challenges. The psalmist often talks about, I've waited patiently for the Lord. It takes a bit of courage. It takes a bit of remembering that wonderful psalm that was read to us. Don't forget how good God is. Don't forget. Happily, Elijah kept on. I hope you will keep on waiting because the voice did come. The word did come. God began to break in. God's not looking for us to try him. Like you said, well, I tried Sainsbury's for a while. I think I'll try Tesco's. Uh, I don't know. I think I did a better deal over there. Because that's the consumer society we're in. We don't necessarily commit ourselves in a thoroughgoing way. We have a go. So I'll try it. Well, I didn't think it worked for me. Now, Elijah isn't the guy who's trying God. He's a guy who stood before God. He has such a revelation of God that for him there's no way back. 
And there are people in this room who have worked with God many years and there's no alternative. You don't know an alternative because you've learned to prove him. I want to encourage you, hang in there. There came a word to Elijah. The Lord spoke to him, arise and go. I can imagine Elijah thinking first, whew, thank goodness for that, out of here. Finished with these ravens, you know, every day, ravens, bit of water, pretty boring, solitary confinement. God, it's over. Thank God. Can I go and speak to Ahab? Arise and go. Ahab? Uh, no, actually, Zarephath. Uh, Zarephath? I want to go to Ahab. I want to get this thing done. It's been three years. I want to go. No, no, go to Zarephath. It's got to go further away. Now, Zarephath was uh, outside of Israel. It wasn't part of the nation. It was outside, it was a foreign land. In fact, it was the land that Jezebel, who was the authoress of the whole problem, came from. And in fact, her father was king there. So it's like, go into this cauldron. Go even away from where the answers have come. And that, that's a very big challenge. The test of faith often takes us along unexpected paths. Go away. I've given you a promise, but you're walking even further away from it. That's what happened to Joseph. God gave him a phenomenal vision. And then he's even taken, his, his brothers are going to be involved. His father's involved. But in the vision, they're bowing down. But now he's away. He's, he's in Egypt. How's that going to happen? And then he's out of Potiphar's house. He's in prison. I mean, how's this going to happen? It's like, David, you be king. Now what, Adullam's cave? Now I'm with the Philistines? It just gets worse and worse and worse before it gets better. And this is the core of the trial of faith that's involved here. Arise and go to Zarephath. But with the command, there comes a promise. I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. It's interesting how God says things like that. I have commanded, like God can just break in. There are some people who say, well, God made the world and he kind of wound it up and then he backed off and said, well, you just work it out, I won't interrupt. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is constantly interrupting. It's his world. So he says, I have commanded the ravens to feed you. you think, How do you command ravens? They did it. You'll find the Bible, God commands all sorts of things. God commands the Red Sea, stand back. God commands the River Jordan, pile up. God commands the walls of Jericho, fall down. God commands the lions, as Daniel's thrown in, don't eat him. God commands the fire, as the three are thrown in, don't burn. What a God we serve. What a God, he can command anything. So when Jesus walks the earth, who says, I am, I am the Son of God, effectively says he's God, you find he can also speak to the waves and say, stop. And they say, who, what kind of man is this? He commands the waves. He commands leprosy, go. He commands blindness, go. He commands Lazarus, who's been dead four days, get up. He commands a man with a withered arm, stretch forth. He commanded it. The guy, wow, this combination, which we're going to come to more and more in this message, 
of responding to God's command because he commanded it. Because it's strange, as we look at this story, we'll find the command to ravens seems simpler than the command to a widow. See, God can command everything. Why? Well, because he created everything with a command. It says in John's Gospel, chapter 1, there is nothing made that he didn't make. It says he spoke out, out of nothing. By faith we understand the heavens and the earth were created by the word of God. We tend to think of the creation as always being here. And religions are things that men make up to try and find what's this all about. No, no. The Bible teaches God created the heavens and the earth. There used to be a time where it wasn't here. It wasn't here. It didn't exist. The heavens and the earth are not eternal. They weren't here. They're kind of Johnny come lately. God has lived for eternity and there came a moment when he said, let's make. And he spoke. And the heavens and the earth were created from nothing. God's power to speak. God's, because it's his world, he made it all. He can command ravens. He can command seas. He can command walls. He can command anything. It's his world. And to know this God against the backdrop of people who say, well, we don't believe in God anymore. Dear friends, it's for us to be like Elijah who become increasingly acquainted with this God who can do what he likes. I want to show on as we go forward, Elijah didn't moralise, he brought this God into the life of someone who didn't know God at all. The God of the Bible is a God who speaks and acts with tremendous authority. So he says to Elijah, go, I have commanded a widow. I guess he could have thought, praise God, not raven food anymore. Be nice to have this widow's cooking. I can just smell it. Oh, bacon and egg, you know, it'd be wonderful. I wonder what she's like. I bet it'd be nice to go. She'll have it all cooked. She's been prepared. I have commanded, past tense, all done deal. I'll go, and the widow's waiting. Oh, you must be the guy. I'm sure she's on the hill looking for me. Well, you know the story. We've read it. And so we come next into what I've called the fight of faith. The fight of faith. This is the the mature servant of God whose faith is going to be tried pretty seriously. And so he goes to Zarephath, and actually Zarephath, and sometimes Bible names carry meaning. The names of people, the names of places. And Zarephath, actually, if you look in the concordance and the definition, you'll find it's this place of smelting. In other words, it's a crucible. It's a place where they smelted ore to bring out perfect gold or whatever the ore was. Real faith gets tested. It says in 1 Peter, the testing of your faith more precious than gold, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Faith gets tested. It's like putting your faith in the fire and, and the crucible is where you put ore in and it's maybe mixed with some dull stuff and some mud and other stuff that got dragged out with it and the heat, the heat, the heat brings the trash to the surface and it gets scooped off, scooped off and think, gosh this is hurting, this is hot, this is difficult and it gets scooped off until in the end the smelter can see his face reflected in the pure, pure surface. When we get saved, we bring nothing to God except a lot of sin. 
God accepts us mercifully, and then he starts changing us and working on us. And often that's through testing. So he went to, if you like, the crucible. He's walking into the crucible. Maybe you've heard of the crucible where they play snooker. I think that looks like a bit of a test with millions of people watching you. Can I get this red? Uh, this is a crucible for Elijah. He's going to go into a very, very tough place. On arrival, he meets a starving, impoverished, emaciated woman about to have her last meal and die. And we in our generation who are used to seeing television reports of famine, we know what it looks like to see people who have been through famine. We know what they look like. This is a three-year famine we're talking about. It's an extended season. Here are people who are in terrible, terrible need. And so here, one has to say she doesn't look like a widow who's been commanded by God to feed him. She looks like an emaciated lady who's about to die. In fact, it's good to stop for a moment and think, she doesn't look like she's been commanded by God. She doesn't sound like she's been commanded by God. When Elijah begins to speak, she says, I'm about to die going to cook my last meal for my son, just gathering a few sticks. She doesn't sound like someone commanded by God. Finally, she doesn't even know that she's someone commanded by God. So Elijah sees a dying, impoverished woman. That's what he sees. What she is, see, what he sees is a dying, impoverished woman. What she is, is God's abundant, unceasing provision. That's what she is. That's the reality. That's who she actually is. She is going to be unceasing, abundant provision. That's the reality. What she looks like, she hasn't got much hope. There's two things to be weighed, as is often the case in the issue of faith. It's where Paul's, or at least Elijah's, faith has to come into main strength. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, We look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Or again, in 2 Corinthians 5.7, We walk by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So God says, I provided a widow. The woman looks like this is impossible. But faith is the assurance of things I can't see. I can't see. How can this possibly be? But God has spoken. God has communicated. M.R. Vincent's uh, commentary on Hebrews 11 says this. Faith apprehends as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It rests on that fact, acts upon it, and is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict. That is authentic Bible faith. That keeps believing when the circumstances are screaming, this cannot be done, this is impossible, there's no way through here, you've had it. He is not impressed by what he sees with his eyes. This woman, if you like, is as good as dead. And that's where you get the reminder, you think, oh, I said last time, he's like another Abraham. 
he, against the backdrop of unbelief, is not called to moralise with his nation, he's called to live by faith. Here's a nation that stopped believing, and the way in which God is going to arrest it is to raise up a new believer. That's how he did it with Abraham. He raised up a believer. He said, believe me, go to a place I'll show you. He said to him, you will have children, you will have a seed, you will have a family, a nation that will bless the earth. And he says he considered his own body as good as dead. See, God didn't start with... Jacob, and say, well, Jacob, you've done pretty well. You've had 12 sons already. I'll tell you what, you're going to fill the earth. Yeah, I guess I am. 12, pretty good start. No, he said it to Abraham, who was as good as dead. And his wife was proven barren. That's when God spoke it. God called Abraham to be a man of faith. And Abraham is the father of all who believe. And this is the characteristic, dear friends, of the church. We are believers. We're not just church attenders. We're not just people trying to keep the Ten Commandments. We are believers. If we're not believers, we're nothing. That's where you see King Ahaz later on in the Bible story. When the prophet comes to King Ahaz and says, If you believe, you'll be established. Ask the Lord for a sign. He says, No, I won't ask the Lord for a sign. In that moment, in that moment, the nation turned right away. And God said to Isaiah, call out some disciples. He starts a remnant. Because the nation has stopped being a believing people. And the day the church stops being a believing community, but just keeps going, socialising, arranging the flowers, getting the flower rota, going to the meetings, but isn't believing, it ceases to be authentic. It's a waste of time. Close them down. May God never have to say to us, close us down. He may instead take us through a fiery furnace to test our faith. To see what kind of faith it is. Abraham, we're told in Romans 4, contemplated his own body. In the old King James, it says he did not consider, but the late, every more recent translation says, no, that's not a good translation. The better translation is he, he did. He contemplated his own body as good as dead. It's like a much hope here. It's like looking at this woman. You're going to feed me? You look as good as dead. But it says he grew strong in faith. He did not waver about the promise of God, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he's able to perform. Do you believe God? See, my brother, my sister, you're going through a tough time. How can this work? I don't know how this can... Ah, give up. No, no, it's not time to give up. It's time to get to know God. It's time to get fully persuaded. God's prepared to persuade you. I love persuasive people. He became persuaded. God will persuade you if you give him opportunity. How do you give him opportunity? Well, you meditate. As we read in that psalm, forget not all his benefits. Meditate on what he's like. Fully persuaded. I'm persuaded, Abraham said. And so he believed God. Who calls things that are not as though they were. God gets ahead and says, this is what's going to happen here. And Elijah stays strong in faith. Faith then is the key attribute of God's people. And in this story, against the backdrop of an unbelieving generation, Elijah personifies faith. He personifies it. And so, for us, beloved, as we share, we share with others 
not a moral code. We don't want to say put the Ten Commandments up everywhere in the schools. And all that. We, you know, this objective statement. No, no. It's are you living by faith? You're raising your kids by faith. You're doing your job by faith. You're being a good neighbour by faith. So out of your faith, you've got something to share. Out of your faith. We don't simply talk about God. We live by faith. And so sometimes you hit crises, like when we first came to this building. And some of you will not have been here in those days. when we, This used to be a warehouse. And we, we, we thought we were buying it. And then the, the council had their meeting. And some of you remember this so well. The council had their meeting. And 100% said, you cannot turn this thing into a centre for worship. And we learned from the television. We didn't learn in a nice pastoral meeting that we could just share this carefully with you. It was slap on the television. And I was interviewed and they put a microphone in my face and I'm on news. What do you think now? They said sometimes you can make an appeal. And if it's 60-40, mm, you've got a bit of a chance. If it's 80-20 and you make an appeal, that never gets turned over. 100% it's impossible. What do you think? And I have to say, I said to this mic, I believe we should be in there. I believe we should be in there. And we saw a 100% council refusal as we prayed and prayed, turn right around, and we got in. I believe God. We saw the same at New Day as we went to New Day. And God had said, this conference, this youth program, is going to have overflowing blessing of national significance. And we get there first time and the floods are so awful and the rain is so profound that as you get there they're saying, we must close the thing down. Will you please arrange to move off? But we were able to say, no, we're not moving off because God has spoken. God said he's going to bless this. And as the years that followed, on it comes and hundreds get saved and hundreds get healed. Why? Because in the stand of faith we say, no, we believe God. We believe God. We do that corporately. We do that individually. And here this man said, no, I am effectively believing God. Elijah didn't give up. It's interesting. You think, he's meeting this poor emaciated lady and she says, I'm preparing a meal for me and my son. I imagine his brain thinking, me and son, no husband. That means she's a widow. She's the one. God said a widow. And so he, does, he doesn't kind of miss a beat. If you read the story, it's not as though he seemed to miss a beat at all. Instead, his faith rises to challenge her. Now we come to look at her. We want to, I want to look at her as the absence of faith. We've seen the trial of faith. We've seen the uh, fight of faith. Now the absence. This woman represents a complete absence of faith. She's not an Israelite. He's gone out of the land. She is foreign to the promises. She's got no history. She has no God. She says, your God. Not her God. She doesn't have a God. She has no awareness of God. This is not an Israelite. This is someone away. It's like our generation. They would say, I don't have a God. And, and they may say, you have a God, like she does. She says, well, you're God. And sometimes you can speak to people and say, well, I know you go to church, you're religious, okay, it's okay for you, but I don't have a God. So this is ever so contemporary. Here's a woman who does not have a God. She's foreign. She's got no God for her God is dead and that's how it is in our generation there's a rejection of knowing God there's almost an outrage that we should say we know Jesus is the only way 
There's a kind of resistance. How can you say he's the only way? As though there was a logic in that. Of course, only one is the only way. And sometimes people will just kind of say, well, we just don't have it, won't have it. And, and it's an emotional statement rather than a, a logical, thought-through thing. It's not through research. It's just a rejection. There is no God. Because, well, people regard themselves as uh, just the results of kind of random evolutionary processes. There is no ultimate. Therefore, how can there be ultimate truth? We just happen. So how can there be a truth? That's the kind of world we live in. People divine reality privately. How things work for them. How they've coped. And they continue as consumers trying to make the most out of life while they can. They're just trying to make ends meet. Entertain themselves. But there's no ultimate. There's no God. So it's ever so current for us. People live as though there were no God. Not only that, there's no bread. The result of the famine, I've no sustenance. I've nothing for me and my dearest. I've nothing that meets my need. I've nothing that keeps me alive. And sadly, when you have no God, that is the unavoidable knock-on. I've got nothing that sustains, nothing that meets my need. I just live day to day. And some prosper, and some don't prosper, but they've nothing to live for. There's no point. There's nothing to hand on to the next generation. I've got nothing for me or my son. Now we're moving through the generations. And I guess I was, uh, you know, I lived through the 60s, and I watched all my friends say, ah, ah, ah. They didn't, they're not interested in God. And I sometimes shown them photographs of my children getting married. And they say, oh, they got married. What did they get married for? And the statistics coming out even this last week of how marriage is so out of date. Because, well, why would you hand that on to the next generation? We gave that up. There's nothing to hand on. There's nothing to pass through. And so we get a generation that's, each generation getting more and more confused. This child's not going to live. And even the statistics in that, I looked it up my computer to see statistics on suicides of young people. And here's what I found. Suicides between 15 and 24-year-old men. In 1974, 9 per 100,000 committed suicide. In 1984, 10. That's 10 years later, 10 per 100,000 committed suicide. Now, it states... 22% of deaths of men between 15 and 24 is through suicide. Nothing, what was the point? People hit problems, they hit setbacks, they try drugs, they, they, they think, well, who is mum, where's dad? You see these terrible stories, what is there? We get people who fill our headlines, who are, yeah, got seven children, five different husbands, what are we passing on? What's the next generation going to believe? What's it going to be living on? There's nothing to live on. There's nothing there to put your hope on. There's no bread. There's no hope for the future. And that is very much what happens to a society that turns away from God. People who've got a lot going for them can, well, they can cope. People who haven't got a lot going for them, it just, just starts breaking up. Completely breaking up. And into that, into that situation, Elijah brings his offer. 
the invitation to faith. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't argue for the existence of God. He doesn't argue for the priority of his God. He doesn't challenge her about her moral code. He invites her into a step of faith. That's what he actually does. He invites her to make a bread cake for me first. And of course he, representing being the man of God, bringing the presence of God into her life and into her face, he's saying, put God first. I invite you to a step of faith of putting the God I believe in, who has met all my needs in this famine so far, who has proved himself utterly reliable and faithful, who I totally confidently believe in, come on, put your trust in him with me. Put me first. Put God first in your life. That's what he's saying. I invite you, out of your unbelief, to put your faith in God first. I call you to build your life on a new priority of putting God first. I want to invite you to an adventure. I'd love to bring that invitation to you this morning. If you say, well, I'm coming to look in. I've come once or twice before. A friend of mine maybe has become a Christian lately. I'm looking in. Well, let me give you an invitation. Put God first. Put God first. Take a step that puts God first in meaningful terms. It says, right, I will put God at the centre of my life. Living faith in God. I want to encourage the believers here. Dear friends, is it possible for someone who's got no God, no bread, no hope, can they in one step step into God? Yes, they can. In one step, from nothing, they can step into a knowledge of God. It's interesting how Jesus, when he met the woman at the well, who was so far from God, who had four husbands, the guy she's now living with, well, she could persuade four guys to marry her. I guess she's losing it a bit now. Well, this guy lives with me. I mean, couldn't get him to commit. Got the others to commit. Not this one. Life's finished. She's a Samaritan. She doesn't know God. And Jesus goes straight in with the offer of life. Living water. You can step right out of that into life. You can have, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew who was speaking to you, you could have living water. It's a similar encounter. It's the living God coming right across all the barriers and offering life. Not sharing dogma, not instruction, but life. You can have the answer. The living God can meet your every need. Allow him to choose. I'm sure she thought, well, <laughs> how can you possibly do this? And you find this immediate, don't fear. Fear not. Fear not. See, the faithfulness of God, which is where we conclude, is wrapped up in God's initial command. God said to Elijah, I have commanded a widow woman. And he bumps into this apparent random woman who's about to die, but actually, 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 she is God's selected, chosen, hand-picked, ordained one who God's going to bless. The amazing thing we find, dear friends, when we become Christians, we often think, well, I decided to follow Jesus. You think, well, I, I took the step. I thought, I'll, I'll risk it. And to your staggering amazement, as you step in and God meets you, you suddenly find, actually, God was looking for you all the time. God knew you. The Bible teaches this, that everyone who becomes a believer, there's a mystery to us, he chose us from the beginning. 
that he ordained it from the beginning. And that although you're stepping and you think, this is a scary thing to step into, putting God first in my life. That's scary. How can I put God first? What about my friends? What about my relatives? What will they say? Always oh, going religious. What will they say? Oh, this is scary. I'm going to be out on that. Can I, will I be able to keep it up? That's the question I asked. I know. I thought, oh, come on. You won't be able to stay religious. How would you keep that up? And the wonder is this. She might have thought, well, how do I just... There comes this terrific promise. I promise you. I promise you. Put God first... And it will never, never run out. You will always have enough oil. You will always have enough food. Not only for you, your son, also for me. I promise you, God will be faithful. That's the wonderful promise. And so you're standing on the edge thinking, dare I make this step? It seems such a stepping into the dark. Is it a leap into the dark? No, it's a step into the light. It's a step into the certainty of God. You suddenly find, oh my word. God was there all the time. I had no idea. He sees you. He sees this poor woman. He sees her heartache. He sees her dying child. He sees the agony of it all. Seeing on the news last night people escaping Zimbabwe, carrying little babies through the barbed wire. I think God's not full of compassion. God sees you. You say, well, does God know? Yeah, God knows you. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you. Will you do that this morning? See, Elijah really is quite outrageous, really, in the midst of her need, in the midst of her blindness, really, no background. He is believing she's the one God's after. I believe there are people here this morning, God's after you. God's after you. You think, wow, I don't know if I even understand it all. She didn't understand anything. She just said, okay. And when she said okay, all the faithfulness of heaven kicked in. See, when Jesus, when God says to walls of Jericho, fall down, they fall down. When he says to ravens, feed, somehow other created things don't have this ability to consider, weigh up, think maybe, mm, the human being has that ability to think, well, I'm not sure. But when we say yes to God, all his power kicks in. You suddenly find, wow, God's with me. God supplies my need. Many of us here could testify. We were living terrible lives. That would be my testimony. An awful, spoiled, horrid life. And God in his mercy takes you through. You say, how can I keep, how can I be religious? I don't even know how to mix with religious people. God carries you, holds you, brings you through. Supplies, supplies, supplies. A life of kindness and mercy and provision. So don't fear. Don't let fear hold you back. Don't think, well, what what would they say? Don't think she could have said, well, I'm not even an Israelite. I'm not an Israelite. I don't live in Israel. You could say, I'm not religious. You offer me this stuff. I don't know anybody religious. I don't know these people. It doesn't matter. You can know God. You can come right in. Even this morning you can say, yes, I'm coming in. I want to know this God who's faithful. I see society falling apart. I see lives that are without meaning and direction. You're saying there's a God can be trusted. Yes, we are. We're inviting you this morning. Put your trust in God. Step through and find He's faithful. Step through and say, I can sing about the amazing 
grace of God. You can make that step even this morning.